Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I have my co-host, Matt, here with me. As we sit, we are one week away from the 2023 NFL Draft. We are almost here. Draft season is very nearly upon us, and today we have a very, very fun show for you guys. Matt and I are going to go through five each of our absolute favorite players in this draft class, regardless of position, regardless of fit for the Jets in particular, just five guys that we love to talk about that are great at playing football, that are not necessarily the top cream of the crop of the class that are all guaranteed first round picks or, or anything close to it, but some really, really good football players, some guys we're excited to see at the next level. I cannot wait to get in and start this show. Matt, I don't want to wait any longer. I want to toss things off to you to go ahead and jump off here. Who is the first guy off your list of our all Oklahoma drill team that we've assembled here? All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to just get this name out of the way because uh, <laughs> while, while, I'm, while my me- my mouth is still a little fresh. Uh, so we're going to go with Northwestern at a Tamawa at And yes, I practiced that quite a bit. Uh, so yeah, uh, this guy is an absolute stud from the senior bowl to his tape. Uh, he's uh a, a, a guy that's going to make a defensive line uh, very happy. Uh, this guy is 6'2", 280. Uh, he's got incredible power to his game. Uh, his speed to power game uh, is, is amazing. I, right now, I have this guy as a late first, early second round pick. Uh, what he's able to do in his utility, I think, is what's really going to uh, make him rise a bunch uh, of other names. Uh, he, the fact that he can play inside uh, and not really miss a beat. He's that good. He's got that strength to him. Uh, his hand usage is really good. Uh, you, I've seen him go against a number of, of good tackles that also have good hand usage, and he goes toe-to-toe with them. Uh, his pad level, he, he, he's at 6'2", he's kind of got naturally good pad level. And when he gets under your pads, he's lifting you up and he's pushing you back. He puts a number of guys on skates uh, constantly. Uh, and his ability to penetrate from the inside uh, makes him valuable as a, as a third down interior rotational guy that we can use. Uh, and that's kind of what we were talking about before we, we started have about if they do go edge rusher, what kind of edge rusher would it be? Uh, and this guy fits the bill as a, as a guy that can play the edge uh, on rundowns and then move inside on, on passing downs and just be a, a dynamo, just getting that penetration, uh, being too quick for these uh, interior offensive linemen, uh, has the, the length and, and the hand usage to just make himself untouchable. Put that kind of guy next to Q, uh, and you, you're, you're going to have something special there. Uh, he's. I, I definitely think he fits our system. I think he could fit pretty much any system. Uh, you throw him as a as just a, a three four outside linebacker. I mean, I don't want to stand him up. That's probably not his his bread and butter. But you know could. what? He's he's that athletic that he could pretty much he could probably thrive in any role you you put him in. Uh, and when you listen to him, I, I've I've heard him talk a number of times. His just understanding of the game uh, and his ability to, to process everything uh, is just very impressive. I, I, I love this guy. Uh, I, I think he's e- easily going to be top 50, uh, if not a first-round pick. 
he's he's going to be going places. So I look for his guys' uh, name going forward at the draft and and in years to come. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'll be really, really, really surprised if he gets out of the top forty. Uh, I, I really think that it's. I think the first round is absolutely a possibility. I think the top of the second round is all but guaranteed. Uh, I mean, I, I'm the type, This dude is a special, rare athlete. I mean, he's six foot two, two hundred and eighty-two pounds, has plus thirty-three inch arms, had a thirty-seven and a half inch vertical, and ran a four-four-nine forty at two eighty-two. Like this wild. is that's. That's wild. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy talk. That is that is unheard of levels of speed and explosion for a guy at that size where we just talked about it. He is scheme proof. He can play in any defense and pretty much any role on a defensive line outside of maybe nose tackle where I, I don't know if you'd want him to be maybe your one tech or your shade nose, but you want him at three tech. Absolutely. He's got the quickness, the length, the power, the the hand use, the 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 ability to get skinny and knife through blocks can do all of that no problem you want him at five technique just standing up and two gapping and holding his ground and being head up on a tackle no problem got the power the length again to do that got the anchor in his you know back end to keep his ground doesn't have any issues with that whatsoever can discard and make plays and make tackles want him to rush off the edge he can do that too you want him to play stand up backer on the outside in a three four he can do that too if in a pinch if you absolutely needed to I, i mean the it's insane Guys that can do all of that are absolutely rare. And relating this back to the Jets in particular, they love moving their defensive linemen all around the formation and in various positions. Uh, you know, whether it's Michael Clemens, who plays on the outside and will move on the inside in certain formations. I've uh, They had a couple situations where they put Jermaine Johnson at three tech and then would run a stunt where he loops to the outside. You know, we've seen overload sets with Quinn and Williams at defensive end. You know, there's they move their guys all over and having another guy that fits into this scheme that can play multiple roles and allow them to just get diabolical and concoct some crazy rush packages i really think it'll help them out a lot yeah uh, and i don't give top uh tier motor uh or edge playing with an edge grades to a lot of people and he definitely has that too uh i, I constantly bring it up and you do as well that we want dogs in this league uh, we definitely want them on our team and he is most definitely fitting that bill you can see him chasing down uh, running backs and, and slot receivers all the way down the field because he's just always putting in that effort every single play. A truly impressive guy. Yeah, he really is. He really is impressive. I mean, I said it before, I'll say it again. Athletes like that are just rare. And at some point, they're they're going to succeed. I think he's, you know, could stand to be a little more developed as a pass rusher, but I think his run defense is he's pretty technically sound there. He's gotten to go against Skaronsky a bunch in practice at Northwestern. That's obviously got to help him, you know, be ready and used to handling a guy that's going to be a quality pro lineman. Uh, I think there's a lot to like with him. No, absolutely. All right, moving on here. My first guy, um, it's a guy I've been waiting to talk about that we haven't mentioned much on the show yet, mainly because uh, the Jets haven't been too interested in defensive ends and, and copying you. I'm going to go right to that. Well, right away here, Isaiah Foskey at Notre Dame uh, is a guy who started the process as a consensus first round pick would see him pretty much in the top 20, give or take uh, of any mock draft you would see in about January to February. Um, and now seemingly has fallen out of favor, fallen down the draft order, isn't getting mentioned much to where I, I see him floating between the 40s and 50s uh, and most rankings and boards and mocks that I see. 
And I got to be honest, people, I don't know what more you want to see out of a guy. Yeah, I really, really don't know what, when evaluating a prospect, the amount of boxes that Isaiah Foskey checks that, that don't result in becoming a first round pick. I don't understand it. Uh, first and foremost, he's a great athlete with an, an excellent body and excellent build. He's six foot four, uh, 260 plus pounds, six foot five, excuse me, 264 pounds, had a four, five, eight, 40. It's at six, five, 260, has 33 plus or 34 inch arms. Uh, so he's got plenty of length to match. Had a 34 inch vertical, had a one, six, 10 yard split. Overall RAS relative athletic score that we always reference. Shout out, can't leave flat. Um, 9.57 for a defense event. Fairly, fairly high. So, has the size, has the strength, has the length, has the speed. All good there from an athleticism standpoint, no questions whatsoever. He was a team captain at Notre Dame. Played four years in, uh, in, at Notre Dame. Ends up being a team captain his final season. Is revered by his coaches and teammates. Absolutely adored by anyone that was around him. And you watch him on film. The energy and the passion and the aggression and the want to and the will to win and the strain, something that Robert Sala talks about all the time, jumps off the screen. I mean, it is obvious that this guy is the leader of Notre Dame's defense, if not their entire team. They resonate around him. They bead off of him. He is their tone setter. He is their leader. And they follow suit like he is, you know, the greatest military general you've ever seen with his command following behind. Absolutely perfect. Perfect fit to any locker room, a guy that you can trust to be one of the leaders of your team, set the example the right way, do things the right way, and turn all of that potential into something special. Last but not least, you go to his tape, and his tape is great. He's the all-time leading sacker in Notre Dame history, has ahead of Justin Tuck, uh, for reference of who was you know ahead of him before he got to that reference. Top sacker in Notre Dame history, plays with his hair on fire absolutely despises offensive linemen and tries to run through them like a bat out of hell anytime he gets an opportunity. Knows how to counter when his first rush isn't there, which is one of my favorite things about him, is that he never stops rushing. Is that he has a handful of variety of moves. I'd like to see him be a little more developed. I'd like to see those moves be a little more consistent. But he's not totally raw as a rusher by any means. And when he tries a, a move to an, uh, to start and it doesn't work, he's already got a backup plan and knows exactly how to counter. I saw him had a play. Uh, I think it was against Clemson. He's going against Clemson's right tackle. He tries a spin move to the outside and right tackle keeps up with it adjusts his body, catches him, but opens the gate a bit to the inside to try and get square with Foskey after the spin. Foskey notices this and converts from a spin to the outside into an inside long arm, gets on the inside shoulder of this tackle, pushes him forward, drives back, ends in a sack for Notre Dame. That type of stuff is rare from rookie defensive ends. The quick reaction, the plan, the, the muscle memory to change from one move to another on a whim, on the fly, and make it effective is not something you see out of rookies very often, if at all. And Isaiah Foskey can absolutely do it. He had a great process. He has great tape. He's got great measurables. He's got great leadership skills. He's got great effort. He's played at a top program. He's statistically produced as well. What more do you want to see out of a defensive end? I don't like Matt. I really want to get your opinion here because I think there are some weaknesses. I think he's his run defense is 
hit or miss. I think he's got reps of staying low and keeping his pads down and shooting inside and absolutely dominating offensive tackles and tight ends in the run game. He's also got plays of playing a bit too high, trying to get into the wrong gap, not quite locking out in the exact same uh, in the exact way that you would want and getting turned and tossed a little bit more than I would like. Like I said, I'd like to see a little bit more consistency in his moves as a pass rusher. But when you look at the athlete, you look at the production, you look at the the baseline of technique that already is there. You look at the effort and you look at the statistics. I don't know what more you want to see. Yeah, I mean, he, his general body of work is just very impressive. Uh, I've, I've seen him get beaten a couple times by numerous, probably first or second round tackles. Uh, I know Duan, he had a difficult job time against uh, Dewan Jones, but just about everybody in the league has, so I'm not going to fault him for that. And then when he lined up against uh, maybe arguably our offensive tackle one or two, Paris Johnson, uh, he did a lot better. Uh, he's just got a lot of strength and power in his upper body. Uh, when he gets that long arm into your pads, uh, he's, he's got great balance to, to it's, it's violence. his way it's, around. It's, it's destruction. It, you know, it, it, is. it is when he gets a good shot on people, like I was saying in the run game as well, when he keeps his pads low, pads low and he shoots his hands inside, it's dynamite. You know, it's it's pistons on contact that jolt people violently. This is not a guy with with just, you know, this is explosive strength. This isn't just raw strength. I, I noticed something that uh, that brought back my memories of Jermaine Johnson last year. Uh, when I saw his little Euro step outside, that was a, a, something that JJ used to do a lot and have great yep. success. And I see that the same move happen a lot with, with Posky, and he does it very well uh, because when he does uh, his speed to power, tackles need to respect it. So when he sets up inside and you're thinking power, you know he's got the power to, to put you on skates. So you respect, and then when if he pulls that little Euro step outside, now you're playing catch up because he does have the athleticism, athleticism and speed and the balance and the power to get around you and get that edge, and he'll flatten out and, and take out your quarterback. It's it's very impressive, and yeah, he like I said, he does he has uh, been beaten uh, a little bit more than I'd like, uh, but his body of work speaks for itself. It's very impressive. Um, let's see. Uh, I saw him have trouble. We said with Dewan. I saw him have trouble with uh, Matthew Bergeron of Syracuse. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't get down. Like if, even if he gets right. have trouble like, means that he planted. wasn't like dominating every single play and had a couple losses. Yeah. Like, but at the, yeah, the very next play, even if he gets face planted, he'll be right back in in that tackle space, and maybe he'll win that one. So it, you're not going to win every single rep. Uh, and the fact that he has the, the motor and plays with his hair on fire, like you said, it, it bodes well for uh, a guy that's going to get a significant amount of snaps. Uh, whether it's uh, in our defense, uh, where we do so much rotating, uh, I wonder if he gets the chance to really find his footing in a game, uh, if he's not giving a, a, a wide breadth of, of snaps. Uh, but in just about any other kind of defense where he's going to be counted on on a play-by-play basis and he's allowed to, to fail every now and then, uh, he's going to be a, a menace. He's going to be a guy that, that you're going to have a hard time taking off the field. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I really do think this is this is what a pro football player looks like. And is Isaiah Foskey ever going to become the most dangerous pass rushing defensive end in the NFL? No, probably not. But he's going to probably play in the league for 10 years, make a few Pro Bowls while he's at it and be one of the better players at his position along the way and be a fan favorite adored in the locker room team leader for whatever team he's on in the meantime. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't know how you like you don't miss with Foskey. You don't. He has room to grow. He's still I don't want to say he's raw. He has some things to clean up because I don't think he's raw. But it's not like he's this perfectly, you know, awesome high floor guy that's going to come in and, you know, already knows what he's doing, everything textbook. There's room for him to grow. But I am so willing to bet on a guy when I know that he has production and I know that his effort and work ethic is there. You, You know, you don't just become the most respected guy at Notre Dame by accident. You, you know, you don't just be walk in and become their team captain. You, you have to earn that. You don't get revered by that program and by a coaching staff in the way that he did without earning it. You don't get the reactions from your teammates. When Isaiah Foskey makes a play, his teammates celebrate harder than when they make one himself. That, <laughs> that jumps off the screen to me. And Foskey's the same way, where he's going to celebrate when he does well, of course, too. But he's going to be just as happy for his teammates around him and be celebrating their victories even more. The fact that his teammates do that back for him, he's loved. And I'm, I am so confident in this guy being a good player. I, I got to be honest, Matt. And again, your rankings, I don't exactly know where you stand. And me being normally the guy that bets on upside and talent, you know, it might be uh, counterintuitive to how I normally think. I think Isaiah Foskey's significantly better than Tyree Wilson. I have I have Isaiah Foskey as my third overall defensive end right now behind Will Anderson at one and Miles Murphy at two. I think Tyree Wilson's like fighting with Van Ness to be four or five. And I'm I'm perfectly happy putting Isaiah Foskey above Tyree Wilson. Tyree Wilson is a significantly better athlete. His potential is significantly higher. The, the size, the length, the speed, the strength with him are all better than Isaiah Foskey, and that's not an, an argument. But there is such a, a, a gap that Wilson has to overcome in his technique to be a full-time starter that Foskey doesn't have to overcome to get to that same, uh, that same place that I'm willing to bet on Foskey more, plus the production, plus the attitude, plus the, the effort and everything else. I, I'm, I am no issues at all saying that I think Isaiah Foskey is better. Uh, right now, I have him as my fourth edge. I do have Nolan Smith in there uh, above him. Oh yeah, Smith like would Nolan probably Smith. be Smith would probably be four of over Wilson or Van Ness for me too. Uh, and yeah, I, I have him above Van Ness. Uh, but yeah, I, I I still have Wilson just slightly ahead of Foskey. Uh, but yeah, Anderson, Foskey, uh, Smith. Murphy. Oh, sorry. So yeah, that would make him fifth. Yeah. So he's edge five for me right now. Uh, but yeah, the, he, he's just a football guy. This guy, you put him on any team, the team's going to love him like they did at Notre Dame. Uh, he's going to play with his hair on fire. He's just going to give that effort every single snap. Uh, it's going to be, it's hard not to like this guy. Yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, when I started and I was talking about him, I said, what more do you want to see? What's not to like? I mean, he checks pretty much every box you could ask for. Was a high recruit out of high school, goes to a major program, succeeds, you know, dominates there, becomes their all-time leading sacker, is a team captain, has a decent showing at the Senior Bowl, blows up the Combine. Like, it, what 
what more do you can you ask for? I mean, this is this is kind of where I personally wanted to come out and, and and really talk up Foskey a bit because I don't know why he fell. Like, what didn't what did he do wrong that caused this fall to go from he's a guaranteed first round pick and one of the first defensive ends drafted in February to here we are a week out from the draft and he's not going in the first round. I don't get it. You know what? It, it's it's funny. I think it's really nothing to do with the player themselves it's more to do with other people just getting the hype and the hype train just goes through ebbs and flows and it goes from player to player so every now and then like this player will get uh talked up a lot and then other players will just kind of be talked about less it doesn't mean they're not as good uh it's just when the media really gets hold of of individual players they like to talk about them more and more. And then the players that they were talking about previously get talked about less. So it, it's just kind of the natural progression of, of draft talk. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he still goes in the first round because he is that good. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised either. And I really hope he does because I think he deserves to. Uh, and I want to see him succeed. Matt, let's keep going on here. Who's your next guy? All right, let's do one more on the defensive line. Let's go Keanu Benton from Wisconsin. Uh, he's a three-star recruit. Uh, he's got a wrestling background. I love guys that are in the trenches that with wrestling backgrounds. Uh, and you can just see it, too, in this tape. The way that he gains leverage, the way that he uses his entire body in fluidity to really just take it to offensive linemen and put them on their back, or just uses it to penetrate. And this guy is not a small guy. Uh, he's, what was his, his weight? is like 309, 6'4". He is a big guy. And especially for our defense, what I'm looking for, is especially what we don't have right now, is that guy that can play nose or one tech, uh, mm-hmm. and kind of allow Quinnen to, to thrive in his natural three-tech position. Uh, and he's kind of the perfect match for what we need in our defense, uh, let alone anybody else's defense. But he, the fact that he can be that strong uh, mountain of a guy uh, on early down, but also have the athleticism and uh, the uh, wherewithal to, to be a great penetrator on, on passing down, uh, is, is just a, gives you another guy that's going to be hard to take off the field. Because he's a guy that could do it all. Uh, he's got very good arm length as well. It, he's borderline first-round pick for me. I have him kind of meandering around the, the early second round, uh, 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 as well as uh, Edeboire. So I, I think there's going to be this, this moment at the end of the, the first round where everybody kind of... Uh, takes a uh, stock of, of what's left. And then it's like, wow, you've got all these studs along the defensive line. Maybe a, a Foxy, maybe at Edouard, maybe a Benton. And all three of these guys can transform a, a defensive line. Um, we, we were talking before about how maybe the, the edge class isn't that great. Uh, but the interior defensive line class is a lot better. I think it's pretty deep. Uh, but Benton, uh, I believe is just one of the top, top guys. I don't think you can go wrong. He's got such a high floor uh, and an even higher ceiling. 
I think if he can really put together uh, uh, some some growth when it comes to individual pass rushing moves, uh, he kind of relies on his athleticism and size uh, a lot, and it's worked very well for him. Uh, I, that's probably going to slow him down a little bit at the next level. Uh, but you know what? I think he's definitely got the temperament. He's got the ability to to really grow in this area. Uh, you put him on on our defense or uh, on a another team with great defensive coaches, I think they will teach this guy up to be a monster. Uh, and that's, I'm, I'm not even going to say that's hyperbole. I think this guy has potential to be a monster. Uh, with that size and that athleticism mixed with his work ethic and, and his motor, uh, you've got a guy that could be highly effective. Absolutely. Uh, 110%. Absolutely. Uh, Keanu Benton is a three-tech trapped in a nose tackle's body where his burst off the snap is really something serious. His ability to to go side to side and cover ground laterally and get from one gap to another is really impressive for a, a six foot four, three hundred and ten pounder who honestly looks bigger on tape than six four three ten. Where if you watch him at Wisconsin and it's not like Wisconsin's full of a bunch of tiny dudes, but you, you watch him at Wisconsin, he looks like he's three twenty five. He looks like he might be 330. He, he's head up over uh, over centers at, at nose guard. He's shading to the outside at one technique. You know, he is not getting too many opportunities to be put on that outside shoulder of a guard as a three technique and get up field and rush. But when he does, it's a flash and it is immediate and it is consistent. And I really think that this is a guy that, like you're saying, Matt, is the perfect fit for the Jets and what they need because he can be the penetrator that they want and also be that extra beef and stoutness on the inside that they're really, really missing. You know, I really think it's a a, a great match from player and skill set and what this team needs. It's hard to find a better guy to fill that defensive tackle role for me uh, for the Jets than Keanu Benton. And the the guy he reminds me of, Matt, and it's kind of again like it, it seems like every time we do these shows, I don't think of I can't think of any good comparisons. And then right as we're about to go record, these hit me like a ton of bricks, and I have to write them down real fast. Um, you remember Christian Barmore, who's on the Patriots? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Went to Alabama. Same sort of guy. Both mm-hmm. with Barmore, 6'4", 311. Benton, 6'4", 310. So virtually the exact same size. Primarily guys who played nose tackle, played shade, uh, played shade nose, played one, played on the inside more so uh, in a stoutness role than a penetrating role, but flashed some penetrating skills, has the ability to play in different alignments. And Barmore's become a really, really good player for the Patriots. And I think that Benton can have a similar sort of career arc where he goes at the very top of the second round and he is one of the better starters on his defense sooner rather than later. I love him next to Quinnen. I think he uh, that absolutely fits like a glove. Um, I think that's a, he's a guy that you could, if you absolutely wanted to, you could leave him in as a pass rusher on third and long. And you could have him be next to Quinton on the inside and you could keep whoever else on your edges that you want. You don't have to slide somebody like we were talking about at moving him inside or moving Michael Clemens inside or moving JFM inside. You know, maybe you can keep your edges as your edges and you can have two guys on the interior that you can feel comfortable about not only getting after the quarterback, but holding their own against the run if need be. I, I love the fit. I couldn't love it anymore. Yeah, I mean, when people... For the uh, when I see a lot of people talk of, of him, they just see him as a run stuffer, and they don't really talk that much about his 
pass rushing ability. The fact that he has such explosiveness off the snap, uh, constantly, you'll see him be the first one uh, off the snap, and yep. his burst is an explosion, too. Uh, they just go hand in hand, and it's, it's weird seeing a guy his size just squeeze through these tiny little lanes between guard and center, or guard and tackle, and he does it constantly. Uh, the only team I, th- I feel like had his number was maybe uh, Ohio State uh, and, and Weipler. I, I think he had a, a decent game against Benton. But just about everybody else, Benton has just showed his dominance. Uh, he shows that wrestler background, uh, just wrestling people to the ground and, and just using that leverage. It is truly impressive. Uh, I have him, again, right at the early second, um, if not late first, if, if there are uh, some uh, defensive tackle hungry teams. Um, if we aren't thinking center early, uh, if we're not trying to get another weapon, I could definitely see Benton being, uh, one of our picks definitely, uh, at 42 or 43 or whenever we pick in the second round. Oh, absolutely. Benton is on my short list of best possible players in the second round. Uh, it's John Michael Schmitz is up there. Although I think you can make an argument to wait on center because as we've gone over, there's a handful of really good centers in this class that are going to be available later in the class to where I don't think you have to use the second uh, your second round pick on JMS if he's there. If he's not, I think that is a green light to take Keanu Benton and pray that he is still there at 43. And if he is that you're getting a, a really, really good defensive tackle. Um, I just went ahead and plugged in. Keanu Benton and Christian Barmore into the RAS calculator. Um, and I want to share the results here. Keanu Benton, six foot three inch and uh, three and six eighth inches, 309 pounds. Christian Barmore, six foot four and one eighth inch inch, uh, one eighth inches, 310 pounds. Keanu Benton, RAS of 8.90. Christian Barmore, RAS of 8.36. Very simple. Yeah. Set on. <laughs> yeah, so so pretty much pretty much dead on. Um, you look at the the only main differences uh, would be their forty times. Benton ran a five oh eight. Uh, Barmore ran a four nine eight. So you're talking about a tenth of a second difference there. Uh, you have a seven hundredths of a second difference in their twenty yard split. Their ten yard splits were within two hundredths of a second apart. Uh, very very similar testing numbers. I think. If you can get a Christian Barmore clone to add to this defense, there's a lot worse picks you could make in the second round. Oh, yeah, much worse. It, it, I would be surprised if he makes it out of the third round. I'm, I'm looking at a lot of draft boards. They have him like at the end of the second round, uh, maybe early third. So uh, I would be very, very surprised if he got that far. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I really do. Moving along here, uh, jump on to second guy on my list. Uh, we're going to go back to the trenches, and, and we're going to talk about a guy that is my number, my number one target for the Jets at 13th overall, realistically, because I do not think that Paris Johnson is going to be there at 13th. And as much as I love Paris Johnson and believe he is the best offensive tackle in this class, Darnell Wright from Tennessee is damn good too, and he is the guy that I think is more likely to be available at 13 for New York if they were to take an offensive tackle. And if they get to that point, Peter Skaronsky is awesome. I think he very well might be the best singular offensive lineman in this draft, but I cannot in good conscience say 
that I think that he is going to be a better offensive tackle at some point in the future than a Darnell Wright. And so for that reason, Darnell Wright is my top guy for the 13th overall pick. Six foot five, 333 pounds, close to 34 inch length, and absolutely smothers people with his power. Driving in the run game, it's it's easy for him. It is effortless for him to pick up defensive ends and turn them to the inside and collapse the line of scrimmage or get out in front, walk them down the line, dead ahead and get up to a linebacker. Perfectly fine. You want him being the backside player on his own run where he's having to to reach and seal off a defensive end and uh, provide a lane. No issues there at all either. Run game is is comical. For him at times. Uh, I mean, he is six foot five and three thirty-three and plays like it. And that is important to have a guy that has that frame and has that strength and has the the immovability in the run game to where when he's run blocking, he doesn't get walked back pretty much ever. It, it just doesn't happen. He's too big, he's too strong, he's too good, uh, he's too strong in his lower half that he just does not ever give up any ground with his anchor. And if he's not moving forwards, he's staying still. He does not go backwards. In the pass game, the dude is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. To be, again, 6'5", 333, and be as light and agile on his feet as he is. To shuffle and dance and hop, and vary the speed in his sets where if he tries to go for a short set at the start of a play and he takes a lighter, you know, not as quick, long stride to the edge to get depth, and he just tries to short set a little bit and the rusher tries to go to the outside, he's able to recover and then kick into gear and go into overdrive and get his feet back to the outside and reset and push that rusher around the arc. He can keep up with speed right away when if he just needs to know that the wide nine up the edge, you know, Bad out of hell edge rushers coming around the corner and he needs to fire out and match it. Not an issue whatsoever. He's got the ability to go to the outside, read an inside counter, shuffle back to the inside and set his feet and anchor. No problem. Stops people dead in their tracks. Is awesome with his hands. Knows how to absorb power. Loves using a snatch and trap for people. Again, that listen to the show. You should know what a snatch and trap is by now. If not, it's an offensive line technique where you wait for the rusher to go ahead and give you a move where they're going to try and run with power and get their hands on you and run through you. You catch those arms and hands in midair, grab the, that uh, rusher by his wrist, and you throw him face first into the dirt. Textbook. Darnell Wright does it three or four times a game to anybody. He snatch and trapped Jalen Carter this year. He's one of the only people I saw put Jalen Carter face first in the ground. Darnell Wright did it. Wasn't a problem. Goes against Will Anderson at Alabama, a game that I saw in person live and was directly you know, behind one end of the end zone when I got to watch basically the end zone view of offensive line play for the entirety of the game. And the only players that I watched when Tennessee was on offense was Will Anderson and Darnell Wright, and completely and totally shuts down the best pass rusher in college football like it was easy. Tennessee scored 50-something points that night. Their quarterback threw the ball, I think, close to 50 times in the game. There was nothing but pass-blocking opportunities for Darnell Wright against Will Anderson. And it was he erased him for the entirety of the game. Tennessee does not upset Alabama without Darnell Wright. Point blank, period. Goes to LSU, takes on B.J. Ojolari, who's another excellent, excellent defensive end prospect. Not quite in my top, top five, but a guy who is pass rushing skills in particular are very, very developed and very, very dangerous. Completely takes him away, too. I'm I love this guy. I, I there's is this is my favorite offensive tackle prospect. If I'm you know I'm a Paris Johnson graded higher. 
There's other guys that I have lower that I really like and have a, a special place in my heart as well. But looking at everything as a whole, I look at Darnell Wright, and we talked about this in our tackle, uh, or I believe our tackle episode a few weeks ago, Matt. I see, you know, I, I see Penny Sewell. I, I see a, a Penny Sewell who maybe isn't as athletic, but is stronger and is more stout and it, it has more power in his punches and maybe is not going to be the guy that you want getting out in space as much or lead blocking on pulls or tosses or things like that. But when it's third and nine, and you need to trust that your offensive tackle was going to match up against whatever the best edge rusher the opposing team has, and you need that guy to win one-on-one, I want Darnell Wright. And looking at the Jets' offensive line right now, I think you take Darnell Wright, you let him compete with Mekhi Becton and Dwayne Brown and Max Mitchell, and say, all right, the four of you guys go and compete. Let the best four, let the best two win the job at whatever spot it is, and sort that out for yourselves. Wright has played left tackle before. He started this past season at right tackle. He spent some time at guard, too. There's versatility with him to where even if for this year in particular, maybe he plays left tackle and somebody else plays right tackle. And then the next year down the line, Wright moves back to the right side and somebody else moves over to the left side. However, it ends up working. It gives you another guy like an AVT to move around your line and be versatile and put your best five out there. And I think Darnell Wright is obviously a quality pro offensive lineman that is well worth the 13th overall pick. He's the ninth overall player on my board. And I'm, I think that he is a top 10 talent. I think that he is one of the only two top 10 talents at offensive tackle in this class with Paris Johnson. And if the jets can get him at 13, I think they are, they are going to be very happy with the result. Yeah. I'm, I'm having trouble seeing him actually make it to 13. Uh, I've been having trouble also just, kind of justifying putting him as offensive tackle too on my board when every time I watch him it's oh I'm always so impressed with his game and how how solid he is on a snap by snap basis uh that I'm having a hard time not just putting him right into offensive tackle one uh I get it, it. it's very hard and you just looking at some of the games that you mentioned uh LSU uh you have uh, uh BJ Ojolari uh, then you have Clemson. He went against Miles Murphy. Uh, then Georgia went against Nolan Smith and Carter. Uh, and, and who else? Oh, He's Missouri got the best resume against, of any Isaiah offensive McGuire. tackle in this class. Like, and it's not in, even a competition. So let's see. In one, two, three, four, five, those five games uh, against LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Missouri, Clemson, uh, he gave up a grand total of two hurries. <laughs> yep, that's outstanding. That then it shows, and none more than that Alabama game against Will Anderson. Anderson was throwing everything at him, everything, every single move he had, everything in his he had, and it didn't matter. And he matter. couldn't get anything, nothing. And I believe he was even asked, like, "Who's the hardest tackle you went up against?" It without hesitation, he said, "Right," and with good reason, right absolutely blinks some of the best guys that are coming out uh, on the edge. Uh, and he does it routinely. Uh, the only, my only concern is that he only did this this year. This is his fourth year uh, in, in, uh, as a starter. Um, yeah, you said he had some time at left tackle, mostly at right tackle, a couple snaps in, at guard. Uh, but he's really only been this dominant this one year. Now, 
if this was maybe a wide receiver, I would, I would probably feel a little bit more uh, worried about it. Uh, the fact that it, you, you kind of want to see this in offensive linemen, where they kind of go through this arc, because he did improve every single year. So it's mm-hmm. not like it, it, it was just it was just suck, suck, suck. Amazing. It was eh, uh, okay. Oh wow! <laughs> so that that yep, that's steady the, improvement. the trajectory that you want. So yes, was it only one year of being incredibly lights out? Yes, uh, but I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> so I have all the faith in the world uh, that Wright is going to be a dominant force at the next level, uh, wherever you need him. Uh, I know I, that you were saying that he he can play left tackle or or right tackle or whichever tackle spot we want. Uh, a lot of people only view him as a right tackle. That is false. Get that out of your head right Completely now. Completely false. Uh, I, 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 I think I've even seen him uh, jump in people's DMs saying, I am the hell I am. I'm sure right now. <laughs> like, like, he, he's got some spunk to him. And it's not just on the field, off the field, on the field too. He has an edge. He, him next to AVT uh, for the next 10, 15 years. Oh my Good God. Good grief. That, it, it would be an instant face transplant to this offensive line uh, and give it, and if Becton can come back healthy, oh my God. I, I, I have this, we, we do this, we go through these, uh, these waves in the off seasons where we talk about how uh, amazing her offensive line could be. And, and each time we, we get let down because of injuries. Uh, but damn, if all these guys can stay healthy and play together, I would be, so happy and thrilled with whatever the product is. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm completely and totally right there with you. I'm, I love this guy. I, I honestly do. And I completely understand what you're saying about the one year of production. And that is a fair question to ask. But like you, the reason why I'm not as concerned with it, first and foremost, because he was so consistently dominant for the entire season that it was like start to finish, he was killing people. And it didn't matter who he went up against. And like you laid out, his resume of guys that he beat and overcame and dominated this past season at Tennessee is better than any offensive tackle in this draft by far. His resume of challenges that he overcame, where he can sit there and go in any draft meeting that he wants and say, here's five games I played against guys that are going to go top 75. And I shut them all down. One of them is going to be the, uh, a top three pick. Another one's going to go top 50 more than likely. Didn't matter. Wasn't a problem. Here you go. Uh, I mean, there's no one else in this class that can do that. And I don't think there's going to be any difference when he gets to the pros. I think it's going to be the same thing. Uh, I don't think it's going to be any different at all. Matt, let's move along. Who you got next? All right. Let's move to the offensive side. Uh, we, we just did right. But let's go with uh, the skill position. Zay Flowers out of Boston College. Uh, we really, uh, uh, th- this wide receiver class is not like classes of old. It's, it's very slot heavy. Uh, so when I'm looking at who are the, the best slots in, in this class, uh, Jackson would definitely be the, the, at the top, but right behind him, and really not far at all would be Zay Flowers. Uh, I I love what this guy ha- brings to to the table, uh, and unlike JSN, uh, he's not getting as much talk, uh, and he really should be because 
even though he's only 5'9", 182, and his diminutive size does not stop him from playing big. I love small guys that play big. The guys that don't care if you're taller or stronger than him. He's going to fight you tooth and nail for every yard. He's going to go up and get the ball over you, despite you being three or four or five inches taller than him. He doesn't care. He will block you into the ground if you let him, because he's got that fight in him every single play. Uh, He's got this crazy body control that allows him to make these circus catches. He's got amazing concentration uh, that will, uh, he can make catches without even looking at the ball. Sometimes I've seen him make uh, crazy catches behind defenders back and bring it in. He's got out of this world ability uh, mixed with speed, mixed with uh, physicality. Uh, It's just amazing watching him go on a snap by snap basis. Uh, We're, we lost Elijah Moore, right? And now we got Hardman, who's going to be a, a great playmaker, uh, but he's only on a one-year deal. So that leads me to believe, hey, maybe it makes sense to get a more of a long-term answer. And unlike Moore, when he's when Flowers is asked to to kind of be a a, a guy that helps out, kind of supplemental, uh, he steps to the plate when if he's asked to just run uh just like run a route to while there's a a run play just to keep the the defense on their toes he will run his route as hard as possible and that he'll get his defender to follow him every single time if it's a if he's asked to block he will put his everything into that block he has what it takes to be a true dog in the wide receiver room and a selfless one at that he is a true team guy. Uh, coming from Boston College, uh, he, they, they, they breed these kinds of players that are just a one-for-all, all-for-one kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it kind of flows throughout his veins. Uh, he will bleed for this team, uh, and he will do it on a play-by-play basis. Uh, I, I love him. Uh, I think he will probably go late first, uh, but if he sneaks into the second and he somehow lasts to to forty two or forty three, uh, and we're still there, I would not hesitate because we still need more weapons in that wide receiver room. Uh, even if we keep Corey Davis, uh, we could always use more, especially uh, for the long term and not just for this year. Uh, if we're going all in for Aaron Rodgers, get him a guy like Flowers. Uh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Uh, Flowers is awesome. He's he's just awesome. Uh, the the everything that you mentioned the the attitude at his size where he does not care whatsoever how tall he is. He doesn't care how much he weighs. He's going to try and fight for everything he can. He's going to block like he's six foot five and two hundred and fifteen pounds. He he doesn't care at all. He's got no fear going over the middle. He can make plays and and you know contested catches and, and sacrifice his body and be perfectly okay with it. And best of all, just the the element with him that that really you know he brings to an offense is just raw speed. It's just elite deep speed, and no more so evidence than at the combine he ran a four four two forty, which is really really fast. A lot of people would hear raw elite speed and think four three, but four four two is moving. Don't get it twisted. And he had an absolutely elite ten yard split of a one four nine. That's the huge thing for me. Where off the line you can't touch, you can't keep up with him. If you don't get a good jam on Zay Flowers off the line and he gets a half a step past you, 
three yards down the field. Good night. It's over. Goodbye. You're not catching up to him. And he's running down the sideline. That sort of ability is paramount for an offense. And we've talked about it for a long, long time, Matt. Having explosive plays and having guys who threaten vertically and threaten defenses to cover every blade of grass on the field is important. And you can't have enough of them. You cannot have enough guys on your offense that can score 80 yard touchdowns because it's going to terrify a defense. It's going to back them off. It's going to open up everything else underneath. And then once that becomes an issue and all you start doing is feeding underneath and that defense creeps up, boom, it's over their heads, 60 yards. There's your touchdown. Let's go do it again. That's the sort of offense that we want to be fielding, especially with an Aaron Rodgers under center. So, yeah, I, I would be Zay Flowers is one of the few guys that. Based on my rankings, it wouldn't necessarily 100% match up, but based on player fit, skill set, and what they would bring to the team, he's one of the few guys that I would be okay with drafting at 13 that's not an offensive tackle. Because I really think that his his explosive ability is that rare. And, and Matt, uh, you said, you know, we can Wait, hope and pray. Yeah, I said at 13, because I don't Ooh. think there's a snowball's chance in hell he gets to the second round. I think Zay Flowers goes in the first round, guaranteed. I would be very, yeah, very surprised if he does not go in the first round. I think his floor is 22 to Baltimore. And and God forbid he gets within range of the Chiefs, it's Patri- over. I, I, I see him going to the Patriots for one, and that scares me. <laughs> and that's 14. Uh, that's one pick ahead of the Jets 14. at 13. So, you, so this is, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the only my only complaint to his game is that he is not that imaginative and creative at the top of his route. Uh, so that's he doesn't the only have reason to be, why though. I have. That's the thing. He doesn't have to be. He, he's he's, he's that so fast, fast. He backs he, people off to start with. Right. He's got shades of, of, of T.Y. Hilton a little bit. Uh, 100%. And if people, the teams will have to respect that. If he, can, if, the, if he can kind of grow in his route running, then look out. He could be one of the top wide receivers uh, in the league, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think he could be a a pro bowler for sure. I want to be very clear that I am not saying I have Zay Flowers anywhere near close to being the 13th overall player in the draft. I I do think he is further down the board. I have him, I believe, at 28 right now. Um, Still a a fringe first-round prospect to where high second-rounder late first would be about the grade I would give him. And the reason I say I'd be okay with it at 13, assuming, you know, some crazy scenario where all the offensive tackles are gone or for some reason the Jets find a way to feel more comfortable at that position. This is the guy you add that adds an explosive speed element to your offense that rounds out your receiving core that gives you what you were trying to have in Odell Beckham Jr. that gives Aaron Rodgers another target to work with and you're selling out for 2023. So I could talk myself into Zay Flowers at 13 and be pretty comfortable with it because I think the immediate impact the Jets are going to get out of him is going to be worth it. Yeah, it's it's true, and especially for our our future plans, where we kind of need a a Robin to to our Batman uh, with Wilson and and uh, and Flowers. It would go a long way. Uh, we, I, I don't remember how long we have Lazard, but it, the three of them together four would years be for a, Lazard, a nice trio. Four years for Lazard. All right. So then, yeah, put those three together. I think that uh, it will be tempting to for Rogers. He also like, hey, I get to play another year with these guys. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that would be great. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I I would be here for it. I think it's unlikely. I, I think it's definitely 
probably going to be offensive tackle at 13. That's where I would put my money for sure. But like I said, there's a very, very short list of guys that I would be okay with 13 that aren't offensive tackles. Say Flowers is one of them. All right, let's move along here. Uh, get to the next guy on my list. I'm going to stick to the offensive line. Um, and I'm going back to the same well that I've gone to over and over throughout this draft process because I still don't understand what everybody on earth seems to be missing with this guy. Oasegon Oluwatimi, the center at Michigan. He's my top ranked center in this draft. I have him over JMS and I'm okay with that. I know JMS is great. He's awesome. Not trying to say anything against him whatsoever. This is not a bash JMS party at all. Going to be a a 10 year starter in the league. And if the Jets take him in the second round, I'm going to be very, very excited. But I, like I said earlier, when we were talking about Whipler um, and the idea of taking an edge in the second round instead of a center or possibly a defensive tackle instead of a center, I think there are some other guys in this class that are really, really good too. And I think that they're getting overlooked because JMS has been the darling top-ranked center from the Senior Bowl, where he dominated. He had an excellent Senior Bowl and absolutely deserved recognition for it and got that recognition. And I feel like he's turned that recognition into I am ranked here within the top 50 of the draft in pretty much everybody's consensus, big board and idea and media. And then there's like three or four guys that are also really, really good centers that don't come in the picture until like 75 at least. That's kind of an issue for me personally, because I want to see guys rated fairly and I want to see players just get the recognition they deserve when they are good enough to get it. Oluwatimi is a fantastic center, a fantastic center. I do think for the Jets in particular that he could be a not an ideal scheme fit. And you'd probably prefer somebody like a JMS who's better at getting out in space, who's got more experience in zone blocking, who's a better reach blocker. All of that is true. But when I do my grades, I don't do them for how the Jets are going to feel about this player. I do it for every team. I do it in general. I try and be broad. I try and give every player the best chance at succeeding because some guys are scheme specific. And just if that scheme specificity doesn't match what the Jets need, I don't want to devalue a player as a result. So I try and grade everybody in a vacuum and not worry so much about does this player fit the scheme that I want him to have on my team and what scheme would they fit in general? Oluwatimi is a power center first and foremost. He's going to be better in a gap scheme. He's going to be better down blocking, going to be better collapsing on the inside, pulling around the edge when he has to. Not going to be the best great reach blocker, although I think he can do it. And when he does, he's pretty solid at it. But everything else with him is off the charts good. His anchor is off the charts good. His play strength is fantastic. His awareness is incredible. His his technique and his experience is awesome. The guy started for four straight years, spent three years at Virginia, started, went to Michigan, started a year there, won every major interior offensive line award in the country, anchored a unit that was given an award as the best offensive line in the country, makes the college football playoff, blocking for a running back in Blake Corum who had over 1,300 yards rushing. And the guy's going to be a fifth-round pick. I, I, I really don't get it. His pass protection skills are, are elite. His ability to drop his weight and anchor is elite. His drive on contact in the run game is elite. Like we were talking about with Darnell Wright, he doesn't give ground ever. You don't walk him back. You never see any examples of Olu just getting outright overpowered by people where they completely overtake him and he's unable to recover and he's just put on a sled and walked four yards into the backfield. It doesn't ever happen. 
and he played in the Big Ten with a crap ton of good, big, strong interior defensive linemen that were trying to do that to him, and none of them could do it. Goes to the college football playoffs, same deal. No one's able to move him. I'm I see a a rock solid 10-year starting center in the NFL. And if he goes to the right scheme, I, I think he can be one of the better players of his position in the league. And even if he goes to the Jets and it's not the most ideal scheme, I think he is a quality, quality starting center that they are very, very proud to have and probably gets a second contract in New York. And if you can get that in the fifth round, it seems like where his consensus ranking is right now, I, I don't know what more you could ask for. Yeah, I mean, he was probably the first center I, I looked at in this class. And I was like, holy shit, this guy's amazing. Why? I, I, I'm going to find anybody better than him. Uh, and he was my number one for quite a bit. Uh, but then, I, I know you like to, to do it just in general, the grading. Uh, but I like to, to also think about what our needs are uh, and kind of factor that in. Or at least the fact that our needs are different than other teams' needs. And the fact that he doesn't fit every team's need also kind of drops him a little bit down my board. Fair point. So that just utility and, and scheme diversity in general, I think, holds a lot of value. Uh, and that's pretty much my only knock on him, is that he doesn't have that in, in spades. Uh, yeah, he could survive in our offense, and if we took him in the third round or, or later... Uh, that would be a steal in my in my eyes because he is solid on a snap by snap basis and his play strength uh, and ability to to be just a stone wall and a mauler on 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 that offensive line uh, I think is invaluable and would also just add uh, that kind of ferocity that we've been looking for on our offensive line if we took if we had right AVT and Olu and and, and, and Benton. Benton all in the same line. Good night. That defensive line is leaving in a body bag. Like good night. That that would be a very very impressive offensive line. Uh, Fifth round, I would I would be floored if he made it even to the fourth round. Uh, I just think he's that good. Um, Even if it's not uh, our team or or a system like ours, I can't see some team just letting him go by. I don't think there's that many centers that are that are that good in the league where a team can just pass over a talent like Olu uh, because he is just that solid. Uh, and I value solid uh, play, especially from offensive line uh, 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 guys. When you see guys that just do it on a consistent basis that don't, that don't struggle here and there and they're just He's just solid guys. Uh, you you see it with him, and I, I heard him uh, talking about his game too. And though his understanding is is also very impressive, I think he's got an incredible football intelligence to him. Uh, you match that with just what his natural ability is, and you got a player that's worth taking decently high. Uh, maybe not the second round because there are a number of of centers. Uh, that other teams are really talking up and the, the media is really talking up. So I could definitely see uh, a couple other guys going ahead of him. Right now, he's my uh, my third, or no, my fourth center behind uh, JMS, uh, Whipler, and Tipman. Uh, but he's not far behind. I think if you get any of these four guys, uh, you're going to get somebody that's special. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think those four are the cream of the crop centers in this class. And my order is a little bit different than you, but it's not far off. And I think we both agree that in terms of where we grade these guys based on their tape, they're all within that same sort of cluster. And how you decide who's ahead of who is really more a form of personal preference, where like you're saying, Matt, you have JMS so high because he is so scheme versatile. And that's 100% a fact. JMS can play in any scheme. Wouldn't be a problem. You want him to be a power guy, no issues. You want him to be his own guy, can do that too. You want him to be in a pass-heavy scheme, he can pass block just fine. He really is that scheme-proof type of guy, and I totally understand why that gives him value. I just am so blown away by Oluwatimi's elite traits in his strength and his anchor and his power and his awareness that it gives me a really hard time just thinking uh, who's going to be the most consistent guy in the league. And that's the other thing with him that that puts him over the top for me is the consistency. Guy starts four straight years at center, never misses a game, barely allows any pressures or sacks. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head right away, but I'm pretty sure over his career, it was something like less than 15 pressures and less than 10 sacks total uh, over four straight years and 12 games plus a season at center, barely missing any time. There's that reliability aspect too. to be that experience, to play that many games, to not be injured and be able to play in that many games, I think is an mm-hmm. underrated aspect of, of things too, especially on the offensive line. And I just, there is a handful of guys in this class. We've, we've talked about it a little bit, but this draft class overall, it's really lacking the elite of the elite top end blue chip. I know this guy is going to be an absolute star in the league players. There's a couple of them at a couple of positions, but it's a lot more deep. It's a lot more guys that fill specific roles, but may not be, you know, widely, overtly amazing at everything. And this is another example of it for me where Olu is on the short list of guys in my head that I know, I know are going to be good pros. Of the probably 15 names that I could pull off the top of my head of guys that I can sit here and say with no questions, with no worries, I'm not going to talk about how high their ceiling might be or how good they might eventually become, but guys that I know will be solid starting level players in the NFL for years to come from the second they get into the league. Oluwatimi is one of the first or second names on that list. And with the Jets need at center, considering how much I expect them to be passing the football, and I expect them to be trying to keep the front of the pocket clean for Rodgers. And Rodgers has always been able to do his best work when he has room to stay in the pocket and step up and shuffle. Keeping that front of the pocket intact is huge. I really think it could be a solid fit. And I would be, if he is there at 112, it's going to be hard for me to pass on him. If he's there at 143 and the Jets pass on him, I'm going to be viscerally upset. Yeah. It, I, I, it's kind of hard to, to say what we're going to do at, <laughs> at center because right now we have zero centers. Uh, mm-hmm. We have, uh, who, who is it? Schweizer? I forgot his name. Schweizer. Yep. Who's kind of like a guard center hybrid. But it, it, other than that, that's nothing. We have no starter right now. So, and it, it, we're about a, a week away from the draft. So, like, we're exactly a week away from the draft. So, it, it's kind of crazy that we don't have a center. Uh, which makes me believe that if we are taking a center, it, it's probably going to be a lot earlier than than uh, maybe if we did have a guy like Ben Jones under contract. Uh, so that makes me think that they're they would probably go early for for a center uh, and maybe try to, to 
to to get somebody like a JMS or a Wipler. Uh, but you never know. We, we, Jones can they can maybe have like a, a verbal agreement with Jones behind the scene, uh, which allows us to be a little bit more fluid at center. And if that means taking an Olu in the third or fourth or wherever he drops, uh, I would do that in a second because he is that special and he would add just such an incredible presence to this offensive line. Yeah, he absolutely would. And like you said, the idea of a, a four out of a five, if you want to include Lake and Tomlinson for the year, okay, but eventually that'll be moved on from a, a core four of Mackay Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, Olu Olu with Timmy and Darnell Wright sign me up because I think that is going to be a, a, dominant offensive line uh, when everyone hits their stride and if everyone can stay healthy. So let me ask you something. What's your thought on centers just moving to guard also? Because I also have a feeling that we, if we do get Ben Jones or, or bring uh, Connor McGovern back, uh, that it will allow whatever center we get to take a, maybe a red shirt year, uh, and, and grow on the bench, but could also maybe come in and because AVT has the fluidity to move outside if needed. Uh, and you never know with our offensive line, with our offensive tackles specifically, because there are a lot of question marks there. So moving AVT outside is a good possibility. Uh, so that leaves our depth inside. Could you see Olu spending uh, maybe his, his rookie year as a guard and then moving inside? And can you do can you do that with most centers? Um, that's kind of tough. Olu in particular with the Jets, I feel like would be kind of tough for him to be a guard because they really want their guards to be the guys that can get out in space and reach block. Those are the guys trying to get out in front of defensive ends. Those are the guys getting up to linebackers. That's where I feel like they really value the movement and explosion more than anything else. And so I don't know if Olu is the exact type of player that they would want to be that guard convert and fill that kind of role in their scheme. I think a guy like Joe Titman at Wisconsin would be perfect for that. I think with his movement skills, he would be really good there. I think Luke Whipler would be another one that would be awesome at that ability with his movement skills and his ability to reach block and how much zone Ohio State ran. I think that could fit really well. Um, so it's not so much a in general. I think it's a great idea because I think you got to have depth at multiple spots. You got to maximize the guys you can fit on a roster and as many ways as you can form a quality starting five unit, you got to find ways to do it because eventually some guys are going to get hurt and you're going to have to have answers. So I, I like that idea. I also like the idea of anything that challenges Lake and Tomlinson to, to improve. That would be good too. Uh, wouldn't hear any complaints mm-hmm. yep. from me. So not going to be an issue there. I love the idea. I just don't know if Olu is the guy that I think makes the most sense to do it. Uh, another guy you, you didn't mention there was JMS. Who's my next guy. Yeah, go ahead and lead off about JMS because we both have uh, our big centers here and I know how we both feel. And again, this is one thing where I feel like at at the core of how we feel, we're very much in lockstep and it's just our slight personal differences that have us uh, on opposite sides here. Yeah, uh, so this is probably the only guy that out of any of our guys that's probably maybe the consensus number one pick at their position is JMS. and But he's just so impressive to me and the fact that he can maybe slip into the second round is probably why I, I feel comfortable uh, taking him uh, amongst the other guys that we're talking about is just, he is so good and just so solid across so many different fields. 
uh, if you need him to move. He's just such a smooth mover. Him getting to reach blocks is just, it's just like he does it in his sleep. Uh, if you're t- talking about his strength and anchor, he's got that too. It's just across the board solid. Uh, and he does it so, uh, so consistently that it, it's hard to find anybody at any position that's as solid as he is. Uh, when you're comparing him to maybe Linderbaum or uh, Humphreys, I would say that he has already kind of reached his ceiling where they were uh, probably had a little bit more to go. So that maybe is why I would probably grade them as higher center uh, prospect overall. But the fact that his ceiling is still damn good and where it, he, there's fewer, there's few guys that I would feel comfortable taking on on day two or wherever he goes, and just putting him right in, and being more than comfortable with him starting right away. Uh, and right now, we don't have a center like we mentioned. Uh, depending on what we do with, with Ben Jones or Conor McGovern, that's beside the point. Right now, we don't have a center, so a guy like JMS can st- stand right in, be our starter. And I would have no worries. That floor is so high, and the ceiling is already, if he's even if he's already there, is decently high. Uh, so I don't think you can do much worse than uh, or much better at all than than uh, JMS. Uh, his ability to, to with his head uh, is just always in the game. Uh, whether he's dealing with twists and stunts. He's so fluid in picking these up and passing them off. Uh, and his footwork, too, and his feet and hands are always working together. He's just a well-oiled machine along that offensive line. Uh, the, my only complaint is that maybe he doesn't have that edge that uh, some of the other guys that we're, we're talking about. He's not the kind of guy that's going to punish you. Uh, and But you know what? I can sacrifice that if we're getting a guy that's going to do his job every single play. Yeah, I, I totally, totally understand it. Uh, I really do. I mean, a GM is never going to get fired taking JMS. Like, ever. Uh, I mean, this is, he, he's no. a, a double through right center field. Uh, I mean, you know he is going to come in. You know he is going to be solid. You know he can do whatever is asked of him. You know he's going to understand whatever his role is. He's going to understand whatever his assignment is. He's going to be able to handle the protection calls. He's going to be able to handle sorting out complicated defensive line looks. You know, anything you could want from him, he's going to have that. And he's going to be able to be pretty good in the run game in the meantime, too, especially if you're a zone team. I really think that's where he is at his best. Because like you're talking about, Matt, he doesn't have that elite knock-you-out strength, power, you know, throw you away sort of uh, ability to him. He's really good at holding his ground. He's really good at torquing and anchoring and getting in good position and preventing his uh, his man from getting off a block or getting through him. But he's not the type of highlight reel detonator. I am taking you over and I am putting you into the dirt like a Darnell Wright or an Olu with Timmy. Um, but that fits better for his own scheme because he is really good out of his stance. He is really quick and really light on his feet. His ability to turn and be agile and move and awkward uh, and contort his body and be in awkward alignments. He, he doesn't know problem. And especially when reach blocking as center has a great, great feel for it too. I'm not going to be upset at all whatsoever. If the jets take JMS in the second round, I'm that's going to pick's going to get an a plus for me. 
I'm not going to be upset about it at all. He's my second ranked center. I barely have Olu with Timmy higher. I think this guy is really, really good. I, I'm warning from you, Matt, in the time that we've been doing this show, I'm warning to value the guys that are the ground rule doubles a bit more than I have in the past because I had more reached for upside. I'd reach for ceiling. I'd want guys to have elite traits. I wanted them to have calling cards. I wanted them to have things that they can rely on when plays break down. And when they're in, uh, when they're in trouble, what do you turn to to get yourself out of trouble? That's when elite traits come in. And that's where I've kind of gravitated, uh, gravitated towards. But I think the underrated aspect of JMS is he doesn't get himself in trouble to start with is that he's just so consistent and so solid and knows what he's doing and executes it so flawlessly every time that he rarely is in those poor positions where he has to recover and he has to rely on brute strength or elite quickness or elite foot speed or elite length. There's something like that to to bank on getting him out of a jam. He just doesn't get in jams. And if you're looking for if you're looking for a guy to take in the second round to be your starting center with a veteran quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, when you're pouring all your ammo and effort into 2023 to go win as much as you can this year right now, I think JMS is the best player you take. And that is knowing that I have Olu with Timmy graded higher. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just having a hard time seeing him make it to 42 or 43. I think there's gotta be, like I said before, there's, there's not that many great centers in this league no. right now. So the, if he makes it that far, I think it's, it's a shame on, on all these teams that, that think that they can do better at, at, at center. Uh, because yeah, he's just that solid. Um, I, I would would have a hard time trusting that many other guys to just step right in. Uh, and yeah, it, it when you have a team like ours, I think you have to kind of lean more towards these kinds of players uh, instead of going for the elite traits. Like, I feel like teams like the, the Chiefs, they, they can go for the elite trait guys, the high upside uh, with, with a little bit more risk because, you know what, they, they've already got their elite quarterback. Uh, yeah. They've got the team around them that 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 kind of makes up for uh, any learning curve. Where we can't do that, we can't afford to do that. Not yet. We're not there yet. And I think that a guy like JMS kind of fits the bill for what we need right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I really do agree. Um, like I said, I'm going to be perfectly, perfectly over the moon happy if he is there in the second round and the Jets take him to be their starting center. Awesome. They got a great center prospect who I know is going to be good for a handful of years. And just like we were talking about the idea of AVT next to Darnell Wright, the idea of AVT next to JMS sounds pretty good, too. We're going to have the the best alphabet offensive line to ever exist at that point. Yeah, I would be pleased through the moon. Uh, Me as well. All right, moving along here. My last two guys on the list. uh, One of them is a guy I've talked about very, very recently on the show. The other is a guy I have talked about, but well at the the very, very start of our draft process a handful of months ago. I'm going to jump off with the guy that's been most recently discussed, and that is Eric Gray, the running back from Oklahoma. Uh, I said this, I believe it was last week, the end of our position previews when we did linebackers and running backs. I don't get how this guy isn't being talked about more. And with this running back class in particular, there's two guys at the top of the class that are head and shoulders above everybody else and Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. And after those two, it is kind of a pick your poison of who you want between running back three and running back like 12. And all of them are, you know, different flavors, different skill sets to varying degrees of success, all mid to late round players, uh, as it so appears a week ahead of the NFL draft. Get a second to talk after an hour and a half of discussing prospects. Get yourself a little tongue tied. Um, 
Eric Gray deserves to be ranked higher than he is. And backs with his skill set don't fail. They just don't. They succeed in the league. This is what pro running backs do. This is what pro running backs have to do. First and foremost, create yards for yourself. And Eric Gray is one of the best in the class at creating for himself. When an offensive lineman whiffs on a block and Eric Gray has a defensive end two inches from his face the second he gets a handoff, there's no panic. That it's the the play doesn't result in a three yard tackle for loss. Eric Grace jabs his foot in the ground, spins out of the tackle, ducks inside, makes a cut, or just outright runs through the player in front of him, finds an open lane, squeezes through it, and picks up three to four yards anyway. That keeps an offense on schedule. That keeps your offense ahead of the chains. That keeps you out of the disaster situations of third and long that we've seen for so many years victimize the Jets' offense. That their inability to create positive yards on first down in the run game gets them behind the chains on second down. Then they throw an incomplete pass. Now it's third and eight. And the drive is over. Eric Gray makes sure that that doesn't happen nearly as much. And when you have a guy that not only is elitely quick in his ability to make cuts, his ability to burst up field, his ability to keep his pad level low and keep his center of gravity low and cut and shift shuffle and glide through defenses and has the the raw power and attitude of a, a running back like derrick henry who's 6'3 and 245 pounds and it's coming from a 5'9 207 pound back in eric gray that's rare that's special and i want i i'm I've been holding off on saying this, but here we are a week before the draft. It's time to get crazy and it's time to let out all the hot takes that you've had boiling for however long in your head. I am being very clear that I'm not comparing these guys directly as prospects and that I think the guy I'm going to mention is significantly better. And if they were in the same class, I would have him significantly, significantly higher. But from a play style and from an attitude and from a skill set standpoint, if you take away the breakaway speed, Eric Gray is very similar to Kenneth Walker. And that same sort of five foot nine, 207, 210 pound build, ball of butcher knives, elite cutting ability, elite agility, elite at first, runs through tackles, contact balance through the roof, will run you over no problem, can make you miss in space, can juke you out of your shoes all with this compact, tight, rocked-up, muscly frame that's so hard to bring down that just somehow finds a way to keep stumbling and gaining positive yards. Like I'm thinking in my head, the only difference between Kenneth Walker and Eric Gray is Kenneth Walker runs 4-3-9, and Eric Gray, at best, runs about mid-4-5s. But for the first 10 yards, they're pretty similar. For the first 10 yards of running through a hole and exploding through a gap, they're pretty similar. And when you're watching a guy run through an arm tackle, spin out of a second one, put a shoulder through a third defender, keep a put his hand on the ground to keep his balance and fall forward and gain 17 yards on a play where he was first touched two yards downfield, it screams Kenneth Walker to me. And Kenneth Walker was my RB1 last year. I had him over Brees Hall. And as much as I love Brees Hall and as good as Brees Hall is, and and you can make the argument for who's going to be better for the future, looking at them purely as prospects, I had Kenneth Walker rated higher, and I would not be able to like, go back and change that today. That style of running back succeeds in the NFL almost every single time. Explosive, low, uh, low center of gravity, tight build, agile, quick, aggressive, powerful, strong. 
everything that you could want in a running back in a to be a pro back. Eric Gray has minus deep speed. And if you can get a guy like this in the fourth or fifth round to pair with Brees Hall to be the spell guy to make sure Hall doesn't get overlooked or worse and give you some insurance in the meantime while he recovers so you're not racing Brees Hall to get back for week one, I, I don't, you could do a hell of a lot worse in the fourth or fifth round. And I think if Eric Gray is there at 112, I'm sprinting the card in. I'm sprinting it in. This guy is my third rated running back. I have a top 50 grade on him. And if he is there past the 100th overall pick, whatever, 112, forget about it. It's not even a competition for me. It's Eric Gray at 10 out of 10 times. Yeah, if I had to describe his running style, I would just say ultra-violent. Everything he does is with violence. His cut, violent. His power, violent. His hands, violent. Everything about him is just done with a ferocity that you just love to see. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have that deep speed. He's not going to just be a burner to outrun an entire defense. But what he will do is violently cut up the field, make you miss. He will run through you. He will stiff arm you into oblivion. And then he'll just look back and laugh at you while doing it. He's that kind of guy. He's such a, a, a guy, a, a, a bomb. He's, you put the ball in his hand and he'll just blow things up. And when you're looking at a guy that can do that while also being a power uh, guy, power and, and, and that fluidity don't usually mix uh, all in one guy. But yeah, the fact that you can get it all in one Eric Gray uh, body, uh, 5'10", 207, is, is so impressive. Yeah, his 40 was, what, 4.62 or something like that. Yeah, that was a pro uh, day 42, it, and I've been, I'm pretty sure he was recovering yeah. from an injury, which is why he didn't run at the combine. Yeah, so I'm fine with that. You know what, because a, what, where we can, I, I'd actually prefer that, because you know what, that makes him probably more of a likely target for us. Uh, because if he was running in the 4.5s four, four or 4.4s, four uh, guess what? He's probably going in the second round, if or if not earlier, maybe, uh, because that that would just make him in a monster of his own. Uh, but one of the the things that's even more impressive about him, other than his running style, is how versatile he is and how we can utilize him as not just a runner, but as a receiver as well. Going back to Tennessee, as well as Oklahoma. I wish he was used more as a receiver in Oklahoma, but he, when he's used as a receiver, he does it so well. He transitions from receiver to runner uh, effortlessly. He, you can use him in co- complex route running, uh, and he can get that down to a T. He's, he's that good that you can use him in so many different ways, uh, and I think for us specifically, that makes them very valuable because we like to have that versatility, especially from our weapons. Uh, Eric Gray Eric in the third or fourth round? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, but it, the, the running back position is kind of funky. Like, you never know who's going to drop when it comes to running back. So I could see him going even a little bit later. Uh, and I would run that card up in a second for him. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said with Olu. Uh, if he's there at 112, it's going to be really, really hard for me to turn it down. If he's there at 143 and they pass, I'm viscerally upset. That's that's the phrase I'm going with. If you have a guy this talented that you pass on past the 100th overall pick twice, that's when I'm going to be worried. That's when I'm going to be uh, uh, 
really, really kind of bothered, quite honestly, because I, I see the talent in these guys and I know what they're capable of and I know that they fit needs for the Jets and roles that are important that are going to provide value. And, and it's just, it's a match made in heaven in my eyes. And I don't see anybody else that's expected to be available. Of course, right now, that's always going to change when we get to the actual draft and we see who falls and who doesn't. But I, I right now, I can't see anybody else available at 112 and 143 that I would rather have in some combination, assuming they don't get John Michael Schmitz of Eric Gray and Olu Olu and Timmy. Th- that would be you add those two guys in, you give me Darnell Wright or Paris Johnson in round one, and the rest of the class is gravy. I can go home happy. Yeah, the same. Uh, it, he would add uh, so much depth to that running back room. Uh, and like you said, it, it would put, take a lot of pressure off Reese Hall and, and his uh, recovery time. Yeah, and I think that's really important because if we want Reese Hall to be successful in the future, we should not be rushing him back. We should not be overloading him with 20 carries a game the second he gets back on the field. And if we want to have a potent offense in the meantime, we have to have somebody else that can carry the load. And as we talked about very recently, Matt, there's no guarantee that that guy's on the roster right now. And if you really want to be loading up for 2023 and you want to eliminate any possibilities of things slowing down your your ability to have a potent offense and win a championship this next year, then you got to make sure your running back too is sorted. And right now it isn't. And that's where Eric Gray comes in for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would run that card up as well. All right. Almost done here, Matt. A couple more guys to go. Who you got uh, next on your list? All right. I had to do an audible because I wanted to get a little bit of variety. I was going to do Marvin Mims, but you know what? Hey, his his style is, is kind of similar to Flowers. Uh, so I want to do a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a switch up here. So I'm going to go Dewan Jones, offensive tackle for Ohio State. Uh, because we were talking about Posky before, and I was saying how I, I, I really liked how he does such, so well against uh, some top tackles, even if he uh, doesn't win all the time. He does kind of well against all of them in, in some degree. But one guy he did not nothing against was Dewan Jones. In fact, nobody really did anything against Dewan Jones. This guy is an absolute monster. At what six eight three seventy four, and he also doesn't look three seventy four. Uh, no, he looks three fifty, which isn't light. He looks but he doesn't look, but he doesn't look three seventy four. This guy is fit. He's a fit three seventy four. If you can imagine that, uh, that puts him in the hundredth percentile uh, of weight uh, at the at the at the combine, uh, and he he kind of reaches the top tiers in a lot of different areas when it comes to his hands. Uh, 11 and 5 8, 98th percentile arm length, 36 and 3 8th, 95th percentile wingspan, 87 and 7 8th, 100 percentile. Yeah, the this longest guy, wingspan ever measured at ever. the combine, ever, and it, for anybody. And he uses it in, in his tape. It, it, it's not just for show, uh, it, it's not just a, a, a measuring tool that goes unnoticed in the tape because. When you see guys trying to get around him, they can't because that wingspan and that that height and length just allows him to cover so much ground. Bosky would would use that little euro step uh, to try to 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 get some separation between him and Dewan. And even if Dewan fell for it and and was it would uh, 
get air, uh, be uh, tackling air, he would still be able to make up that ground. One step, boom, he's already there and putting Foskey in the ground. And he does it so much, putting people in the ground. He is a finisher. Uh, the, the, the way he does it, too, is we're, I, I was thinking when I first started watching him how much I think of Becton and how Becton was this monster of a man that when he got his hands on people, he annihilated them. But one thing Becton wasn't when he came out was really a tacticianer with his hands and his technique. But Dwan Jones is. So he's a mountain yep. with technique. So you put those two together, and you've got so much potential for a tackle prospect. His only uh, knock is that he doesn't have that movement skills. But you know what? When you're that big, it doesn't take much. Like, like I said, with, with Foskey and how he was able to make up ground, even when, when grasping at air, he is able to make it up with whatever steps he takes. They're long enough to, to get to wherever he needs to be. Uh, you put him on our offensive line, whether it's him or right, uh, him and Becton on, as bookends are just scary. Uh, I would love this guy, even if he is more of a, of a power gap guy. Uh, I can see him thriving in any, in any scheme just because of his elite traits. Yeah. Elite traits. That's Dewan Jones. Outright, you know, in a in a nutshell, elite traits. He is a specimen. He is a a rare, rare, rare specimen. Guys that are this big and this long and this strong and this technically refined are rare. Are 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 rarer than you could possibly imagine. I mean, I go back to the the two guys off the top of my head that were close to this level of size uh, and. And and just raw power over the last couple of years. And the two names that stick out to me are Mackay Becton, of course, and Daniel Falele last year from Minnesota, who went to the Ravens. Falele was nowhere near the technician Dewan Joneses, not even in the same stratosphere of technically developed as Dewan Jones. And Dewan Jones had Becton lapped by a few uh, a few laps around the track too. Where Becton, his thing was he played in such a, a unique offense at Louisville that was so option heavy. He never really got that many true pass sets. A lot of the Louisville passing concepts were off play action where Becton is basically run blocking and trying to get up and get onto the off uh, defensive lineman as quick as he can, get his hands on, latch on and grip. He isn't doing as tr- wasn't doing as too many true pass sets, drop back, kick slide, go and cover the edge. Dewan Jones did it nonstop for two years at Ohio State. Didn't have any problems. Didn't allow any sacks. Didn't did he allow a sack this past year? I don't think so. I don't think he nope, had any. He did not. Any, no zero sacks allowed this past year at Ohio State, starting on the right side. C.J. Stroud was throwing the ball all over the dang yard. Didn't matter. Plenty of opportunities and drop back pass protection. Didn't matter. Dewan Jones doesn't allow a sack. Ohio State also ran zone blocking concepts about seventy percent of the time. And you wouldn't think that a six foot eight, three hundred and seventy pound offensive tackle fits in a zone blocking scheme, but it works. But he does. But he pulls it off just fine. Backside of run game, the backside defensive end is erased from the play. Front side, he's on wide zone. He needs to turn and push the offensive tackle or push the defensive line, uh, defensive end out of the way and create a lane for the running back. He does it the same way Becton does, where he may not get out to the front side 
and reach and turn and have his back pointed to the sideline, he's going to get his inside arm right up in the shoulder of that defensive end. He's going to torque them to the outside, have his torso facing the sideline, assuming he's uh, a run to the left in this instance, and he's throwing that defensive end to the ground and creating a lane behind him. No problem. Absolutely no issues. The, the technical refinement with him is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You would totally expect this dude to just be winning because he's so much bigger and longer than everybody else. And in a lot of ways, that's what he is. But then you get to the times where you see him. He's getting a a one arm stab. Rusher goes, okay. this guy's so long. The only way I'm going to be able to outreach him is if I go with one arm instead of two. I can turn my shoulders. I can get a few extra inches of reach when I'm reaching out with that one arm instead of trying to go for a two hand pull. He goes, Dewan Jones says, "Okay, the one arm stab is coming. And here's the snatch and trap. You're on your face. And now I'm sitting on top of you at 370 pounds. How's it feel? Let's go mm-hmm. do it again. That it's the 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 brain with him jumps out. It, it really does. And we were talking before we recorded, Matt. Dewan Jones was on the the very, very like very just right on the outskirts of guys that I wanted to include in my list as well. And if I didn't have Darnell Wright included, I would have had Dewan Jones. But I, I felt like I like you. I wanted to be a little more diverse. I wanted to try and spread the position love around and, and so I left Dewan Jones out. But don't get me wrong. I adore this dude. He's my third rated offensive tackle. I have him higher than Broderick Jones. And I, easily for me. Easily better than Broderick Jones. Not even a competition. The pass protection skills are unmatched. The frame is unmatched. The length is unmatched. The strength is unmatched. This guy is a specimen. He is rare. And I don't care what happened to Mekhi Becton. I don't. That's going to be the fear I'm going to hear. I've heard from every Jets fan for months now is, oh, well, you just saw what happened with Becton. You took this really big tackle and he can't stay healthy. Is that a risk? Sure. Yeah. Not going to sit there and act like it isn't. Not going to just explain it away and act like it doesn't matter. But the film and what could be if this guy is on the field and when he will be on the field is one of the better tackles in a really, really good tackle class. And I'm, I struggle to find ways to to discredit him because the only real issues that I have are quickness and foot speed with him, but he runs his own blocking scheme at Ohio state and is dominant doing it. And he's so big and so long and so smart and aware that even when guys do try to go outside and just completely get the corner on him, they have to go like 15 yards down the field into the backfield just to get around because he's so big that it it takes, it makes it a wider angle that those rushers have to take. I don't I don't find many negatives with him. And he's another one of those guys where it's like like I was talking about with JMS, Matt. This is a perfect uh, comparison to explain what I'm talking about. JMS, I'm saying, okay, when you get in your in your lose situations, how do you get out of it? What's your calling card? What do you turn to that gives you an advantage? JMS's advantage is he doesn't get in those positions very often, very often. Dewan Jones's advantage is if he gets in those positions, he's so big, so strong and so long, he can get himself out of it. No problem. He what is how do you if I'm a defensive end and I'm studying Dewan Jones, how do I beat him? I don't know if I have an answer. I can't run through him. He's way too big and way too long. He's going to lock me out and put me in the dirt with with ease. That's not going to work. I can't just run clean to the outside because he's going to expect that. know that's coming and use that monstrous wingspan to just push me around the corner and go to the edge of the pocket. I can't do an inside counter because by the time I hit my second step to the inside and swim my arm over, I'm going to only be halfway through him. I'm not going to be fully past him yet. And he's just going to be able to bear hug me and absorb me and throw me to the ground again there too. I can't go inside then outside because again, 
he's just going to be able to shuffle and get in my way. How do I go through this guy if I'm a defensive end? I'm sitting here literally trying to workshop this live for everybody, and I can't figure out an answer. <laughs> if that's not a first-round offensive tackle, someone tell me what is, please. I think the only move you really have is to just do a power slide between his legs. Uh, maybe try to <laughs> get get there before he can reach down and, and, and stop you. That's probably the only way I could see. Uh, you were saying how he did give up a single sack. He also didn't give up a single QB hit either. Uh, in fact, he only gave up. Guys five, don't even get close. Five it's pressures laughable. the entire year. <laughs> that is amazing. He had the highest pass uh, protection efficiency in the league. So this guy is an absolute monster. Uh, and I'm trying to look at his injury history just because I did have those concerns with Beckton. Uh, but Beckton also had like a bunch of injuries. Uh, kind of. The, mm-hmm. make him a little bit uh, less uh, of, a, of an attractive pick. But I don't think I see that with, with Jones. I think he's pretty much stayed mostly healthy. I know he was going through something at the Senior Bowl, but that's about it. Uh, so if, if that checks out and he doesn't really have the injury history to kind of back up the fears, then I don't have those fears. <laughs> then I'm okay with this. And like I said, at 375, uh, he looks very fit. Uh, so, and, and those bookends of, of him and Beckton again, would just be, ooh, chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, there is, I, if you're, again, a week before the draft, here we are sitting out, uh, all the players that we've gone through, all the players that I've seen, graded, watched, etc. I think Dewan Jones is the most dominant tape of anybody in this class. Just in, in terms of how overpowering he is compared to his opposition at times. I, I don't think there's anybody who just outright dominated more than Dewan Jones. Like you were talking about, he gives up no sacks and five or no sacks, no hits and five pressures the whole year. There's reps where he's blocking his defensive end and they are 12 yards from the quarterback where they're not even a, a sniffing what deodorant the quarterback put on in the morning because they're so far away. It is it is insane. It is laughable. Uh, we were talking before air, Matt, when we, I was mentioning Dewan Jones, and, and I think I might have convinced you a little bit to call your audible and, and switch <laughs> him in here. I mean, I'm watching his tape and I'm laughing. I'm giggling like a, a little kid because it's just ridiculous how much better, bigger, longer, and stronger this guy is than everybody else to where there's nothing anybody can do. I mean, he crunches defensive ends like tin cans a, a lot. And if I'm again, I get the foot speed, I get the injury risk. But when you look at the tape and when you look at the the elite, elite specimen, I, I don't know what's not to like. If Makai Becton can go 11, Dewan Jones should be a top 10 pick. He should be. And I think that some teams will eventually see the light and say, hey, <laughs> this is what we pray for. Like a guy that's this big, uh, yeah. that's this technically sound. Why should we overthink it? And the answer is you shouldn't. No, I agree. There shouldn't be any overthinking at all. Uh, if Dewan Jones is the pick at 13, I'm going to be one of the few people on here absolutely through the roof. There's going to be a ton of Jets fans that are going to be, oh my God, how could you take him? Skorowski was on the board. Roderick Jones was on the board. You know, what have you. And if it's Dewan Jones at 13, sign me the hell up because the Jets are going to have some nasty offensive tackles. Damn straight. 
All right. One last name to get through here as we close out our all Oklahoma drill team. And as I mentioned before with Eric Gray, Eric Gray was a player I had talked about very recently. This next guy is a guy I have talked about on the show before, but it has been quite some time all the way back to, I believe it was February when we did our safety preview, Matt. That's Antonio Johnson at Texas A&M. And is another guy that as the process has gone on, I feel like has been severely, severely slept on and deserves to get more recognition than, than where he's being tabbed. I feel like the, the conversation regarding safeties this year has been such an ebb and flow, and it's been such a, a just echoing of whatever mainstream draft media is saying, to be quite honest, that it's kind of sad for me, where everyone in the world absolutely and totally loves Brian Branch in February and early March. And he's going in the top 15. He's an awesome pick. He's the top safety. And, and look at this guy. He's great. Goes to the combine, runs pretty bad as a safety and now it's the safety class is terrible and there's no good players and 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 there's the question meanwhile you got this guy down at texas a&m antonio johnson that plays anywhere the the aggies coaching staff could possibly think to even put him does it all at a high level Mm -hmm. is six foot one 197 pounds plays like a big safety plays mean plays angry takes on blocks throws away tight ends like use napkins no issues there whatsoever lays detonating hits on ball carriers is an absolute tone setter and enforcer and oh by the way he's basically spent an entire season playing slot and outside corner too I, why is this guy not getting talked about it, i mean it, let me be clear antonio johnson is not a first round pick He's not a an elite of the elite prospect. When I'm looking, comparing to guys last year at a really good safety class last year, I would have him at least safety four behind Lewis Steen, Jalen Petrie, and Kyle Hamilton as my top three a year ago. He Antonio Johnson would be at least four. But looking at what the Jets in particular need and looking at what his skill set is and where he is and where he's being talked about being valued, I really don't understand why he isn't on every Jets fans shortlist of players that they would like to see add. We all know how bad, how much Jets fans hate their safeties. I don't think there's a single Jets fan out there that want, that is happy Jordan Whitehead is back. They're glad LaMarcus Joyner's gone, but there still hasn't been much of a replacement for him. They haven't added any bodies to the position. Right now, they're going to be relying on an undrafted free agent and Tony Adams from a year ago to come in and fill that role and be their starter unless they add somebody else. And I think that's where Johnson slides right in because I can't think of any other box safeties who can play man to man like corners that that particular skill set where the guy is he's fully capable playing deep. I don't think he's bad as a deep safety at all. I think he can handle it there, you know, 100% and be fine. But I think ultimately you want Antonio Johnson to be your strong safety of the future, who if this is Whitehead's last year in New York, then he moves over and fills that role next year and you find another free safety. But to have a guy that can be your strong safety, do everything that you want out of your strong safety, can play the run, can match up with tight ends, can take on blocks in space, can come downhill and be aggressive against screens and run through blockers and absolutely decleats people when he hits them. Antonio Johnson's your guy. And then if you're the Jets and it's third and eight and you're on defense and you want to send a zero blitz that you like to do so much, well, that's going to make one of your safeties have to play man coverage. Here's Antonio Johnson who quite literally for AM has played and spent full-time reps as a slot and outside cornerback and has had hundreds of snaps at those positions. Well, yeah, he can come right in and put him capped over the number three receiver in the slot 
and say, okay, go ahead. One-on-one, you got a middle of the field, two-way go out of the slot as a number three, cover him. Okay, Antonio Johnson says, got it, cool, no problem. That, to me, is so, so rare. And the negatives with him that uh, come out to me are, I wish he was a little more reactive. I wish his instincts were a little bit better. I wish he, his speed isn't great, but I wish he trusted it more. He's a little, he thinks he's faster than he is, and I wish he would realize that he isn't and be a little quicker to react. But when he triggers downhill, when he's coming over the top, if he's tracking a ball over the middle, if a receiver's running a, a, a cross, a shallow cross, and he's coming in man coverage from over top, if he's scraping over a mesh or something, when he's in pursuit, when he gets that that target acquired and, and the lock-on triggers in his brain and you see him just saying, okay, I got to go get the ball, the speed is there. He's got some explosive ability. He's got some burst. He's got some agility. And when he connects with people, it's a thunderclap. That, to me, it makes him really, really valuable. And I think he can get so much better in the pros and for the Jets in particular when he can just be put in one spot and say, dude, Antonio, this is your role. This is what you have to do. Here are the seven or eight things that we're going to ask of you on any given week. You go and execute them to the highest ability. Because at AM, he's playing linebacker. He's playing deep safety. He's playing strong safety. He's playing outside corner. He's playing slot corner. He's blitzing off the edge. He's coming up downhill uh, in inverted coverage as a deep safety and then coming over to rob the middle. He's doing everything at AM. He is doing everything his coaches could possibly ask out of him at AM. And clearly, there has to be a good amount of a football IQ and a work ethic there to be trusted to fill that many roles to start with. A&M's coaches are not just going to let him play six positions on their defense within the same game and be perfectly fine rotating their defense around to fit because that's how he wants to play. They're doing that because they want him doing that, and they are putting their best player on defense in the best position to succeed, and he's handling it. Now, imagine what he's going to look like when he doesn't have to worry about the responsibilities of six positions and can only focus on one. That's where I think Antonio Johnson shines. And I think for the Jets in particular, in the second round, if the Jets can somehow figure out a way, if it's sign Ben Jones, great, get your you know 2024 picks for Rodgers or, or somehow find some way to get themselves to keep both of their second round picks and figure out a way to sort D-tackle and center out. Antonio Johnson in the second round completes your defense. That's the final missing piece to your defense. It's the only spot that you don't have a starter penciled in right now. You could still wait and fill DT, but at least you got Quentin Jefferson as a free agent. You got Solomon Thomas as a backup. You know, linebacker, we're waiting to see what happens with Quan Alexander, but you still got two guys you drafted recently in Jamie and Sherwood, Hamza Nasruddin. Seems likely Quan might be back anyway. You just re-signed Quincy Williams. You still got CJ Mosley. They don't have a free safety right now with starting experience. They have Tony Adams, who barely played. They have Ashton Davis, who's a third round bust. That's it. They need another body to be their starting, quote unquote, free safety. But as we saw last year, the Jets safeties play deep. They play short. They play man. It doesn't matter what their specific role might say between strong and free. They do everything. They're interchangeable. And depending on how the offense motions or looks, they might have to fill a different role at any given moment. Well, great. Here's another guy in Antonio Johnson that is a perfectly crafted fit to come in, fill any role. You need him to be a strong safety? Cool. You need him to be a deep safety? Cool. You need him to take on a tight end in man-to-man on third down? You need him to go and cover a wide receiver in man-to-man on third down? Cool. He can do it. And he's an aggressive hitter. And he's got a, a leadership mentality. And he's a tone setter. And he's all of those 
dog men qualities that we talk about the Jets and Robert Sala absolutely loving, especially in their defenders. This dude was born to be a Jet under Sala. Like it, it's it's it. There is not there is very very few players in this class that I think fit the New York Jets better than Antonio Johnson, and for that reason in particular. Again, I'm grading, like I said, grading players in a vacuum before when I'm doing my whole blown regular grades and looking at things as a whole and how I see fit where I want guys to to fit. I'm going to have Brian Branch as my safety one. When I'm looking at the Jets and what their defense needs and what they value, Antonio Johnson is the best safety for the New York Jets, in my opinion, and I don't think it's close. Yeah, see, that's exactly why I feel like he's probably a little lower and not being talked about as much. Uh, it's because he has this versatility, sure. But I wouldn't say that he's kind of elite at any uh, yeah. one He's spot. good at all of those things. He's good at all He's of them. not great at them. And that's kind of the thing where I'm, I, I evaluate it from the standpoint of, well, he's really good at everything. Imagine if he took all the time it takes to get really good at all those things and put it into being great at one of them. Yeah. And but yeah, so but now we're talking about a guy that's going to need some time. And I think with yeah, with the Jets, that's that's perfect for us because we don't need him to start right away. Uh, he can be that rotational guy, uh, and especially in our defense where it might take a, another year uh, to kind of you know get his bearings, get his feet under him a little bit. Uh, that is the perfect role for him. And if yeah, he can grow into that that role of being everything. Uh, then yeah, I, I think that's more of a Clark guy uh, maybe than Whitehead. Although I mean, I guess both our safeties we kind of asked them to to do everything. Uh, but Clark Clark specifically, I feel like he 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 like makes a home as as a linebacker as well. Uh, I, I I love uh, Johnson a lot. Uh, he is my my safety too as well. Um, he's got that phys- that that brand of physicality, uh, a downhill runner. Uh, I wish he was maybe a little bit more controlled and instinctive when he's making his his runs and when he's picking his lanes out. I wish that there was just a little bit more uh, control there and that would allow him to be a little bit more impactful. But at the same time, when he hits, he hits. And it's a train hitting you. Uh, it, it's, it's impressive to see him, him running around the field from every which position. I believe, yeah, last our last week uh, when we were talking about the cornerback position, how we really only have four real options at cornerback uh, when it comes to our depth. It's really Eccles and Carter uh, and maybe Hardy. If we really have to dig deep into our depth, well, they're going to be looking towards our safeties and having a guy like Johnson is invaluable. Having him be able to just step right in uh, and, and and not really miss a beat because he's done it all. He's comfortable doing it all. So yes, for the Jets specifically, that makes him very valuable and probably pushes him up our draft board. Uh, I can see him going right now, uh, early second. Maybe I, I I have him as a solid second round pick. Uh, either way, but I, I so I could see him being there for our early uh, second round pick. If we can maybe trade back uh, a little, I think he'll still be there. Uh, just because I think that his value for us is a lot higher than value for the league as a whole. So I could see him dropping a little bit more and being a complete steal for us maybe at the end of the second. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a kind of a weak class for the safeties. 
Um, so we really need to be very careful uh, with how far we want to go without taking one. Because if we wait too long, then we're, we're taking flyers out on guys that could develop maybe. Uh, but why do that when you can take a guy of such talent as Johnson, who has such a high ceiling, who has everything you're looking for? If he's there and you can afford to do it, do it. Don't, don't think about it too much. Just do it. Because he will help our defense in the short term and especially in the long term. So yeah, I would I would love him in, in the second round if we can get him. Yeah, it's an easy decision for me. Uh, it really is. This guy was made to play for the New York Jets. I mean, this is you could not have built a better Robert Sala safety. This guy was was built in a lab to play safety for the New York Jets. It's that simple. Everything that they value highly, everything that they look for first and foremost in their safeties, this guy does is are the best things this guy does. And like his his best abilities are exactly what the Jets want, and when you factor in his experience at multiple spots, you factor in his experience in man coverage, you factor in his versatility to play either safety spot to be interchangeable to in the same game, in the same drive, even have reps where at one play he's at standing up at outside linebacker blitzing off the edge. The very next play he's a true deep center field safety. The play after that he's a slot corner. Following play after that he's a strong safety. He's covering a tight end in man-to-man. Now it's third and 15. Offense gets a sack. Okay, now he's your dime linebacker and he's like right over the ball. And it's all within the same game and it's every game. That's not easy, guys. That doesn't just happen. You don't just... I, I know everybody can be used to Madden where you can just pick a player and put them at a different position and have them play a role that's not their listed position and it's fine because it's it's Madden or something else. This isn't Madden. This is real life. This is real football. And you don't just play other positions without knowing how to play them. You have to be trusted and earn the right to do that in the first place. And the fact that Johnson has is a, a huge testament to his abilities. And it's why I'm... It's why you really have to pay attention when evaluating players. And Antonio Johnson is a perfect case study in grading a player based on what they can do and not what they did. Grading a player based on where they can grow and how they can improve rather than where they are at the point in the trajectory right now. If you're expecting every single NFL prospect to walk into the league perfectly developed, technically proficient, and all of that and be ready to go from day one, I'm sorry, you're going to be very, very disappointed. That is not reality. Guys have to grow. Guys take time to learn. And that is why when you are drafting, it is always best to look for guys with high ceilings, with elite traits that fit what you're looking for in a role to to execute what you're going to ask out of them at the highest level. Don't just look for the guys that are the cleanest technicians and don't just look for the guys that are quote unquote pro ready because that's really hard to define position to position. And a lot more guys are more quote unquote pro ready than they get credit for. Antonio Johnson is the exact type of safety the New York Jets need to complete their defense. I mean, this dude is like, this dude is the a nastier, less fluid in coverage version of Jimmy Ward. Where that he can play either safety spot, he can play corner if you need him to. He's not going to be quite as fluid and doesn't have the same ball production as a Jimmy Ward. But when it's time to come downhill, when it's time to be a box safety, when it's time to take on a running back in the flat or run through a receiver screen and go make a play in the backfield, Antonio Johnson's going to be the one back there doing it. And I'm just, I'm going to be crushed if he doesn't become a Jet. 
I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be really, really crushed if he doesn't become a Jet because there is there is not a single player in this class, in my opinion, that fits the Jets better at a position of need. And and he's going to be there for the taking in the second round. It just makes too much sense for me. I mean, I don't know if I'd be crushed, uh, but I would be disappointed if if we get to the point where where we have the the fluidity to to make a move like Johnson and we pass him off for something else that's maybe less of a need and and less talented and less uh, uh, upside, I would be I would be upset then. Uh, and I think that there's it's probably likely that's going to happen with the the depth of the safety class not being where it's been in years past uh, and kind of just where the draft is in general. I, I can definitely see him dropping. Uh, so it, it, it's going to be wild to see what, what happens with him and where he falls. I want to float an idea out to you, Matt, before we uh, get float out of here. It. And it's not something we've mentioned really at all um, leading up to this draft, but it's an interesting idea that I think is worth discussing. The problem for the Jets right now is that they have their three picks in the top 50 at 13, 42, and 43, and then they have a massive gap between 43 and 112 where they don't have anything, and they basically skip all of the third round, the second half of the second round, and all of the third round, and most of the fourth round. So practically two full rounds that they're not getting a chance to pick. We're also likely expecting at least one of those second round picks to go to the Packers for Aaron Rodgers, assuming that happens before the draft. Now, we all know it's best for the Jets to wait. Hope that doesn't happen. But argument's sake, there's a chance that they are going to be giving up one of their two 2023 second round picks for Aaron Rodgers. That's one less pick they're going to have. So now you're looking at argument's sake, 1343, and then you don't go anywhere until 112 again. How would you feel about if a player like Johnson starts sliding out of the second round. If you get to 65 or 70, 75, somewhere in that range, and Johnson's sitting there still available for some reason, still waiting to be had, do you make a call and possibly give up 2024 picks, even if they might be in a higher round to go up and get the player this year? Hmm. Who? I forgot which uh, coach slash GM. His his, uh, mantra was, I think it was Jimmy Johnson. It's like, why wait for next year to what we can get right now? And when it comes to some of the talent in this year, I see a lot of potential in a lot of them. Uh, but at the same time, I I don't have that same that same feeling that why hold on to the picks in the future when we can grab this talent right now. It's hard because that that would be how I normally feel, but then now we also have to factor in Rodgers. Like this is a year where we're going all in, and maybe we should have that mindset. Why wait on picks for next year when we can just use them to get the guys that we want now and help build the team for now? I would say yes. I would be willing to do that. Would I say do that for a guy like Antonio Johnson who might not be that guy right away? Probably not. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately where I fall as well. Is As much as I love Johnson and I do think that he would be a, a perfect fit for this team uh, and not only now in the future, I do think that there could be a little bit of a learning curve learning the new scheme. I do think that the benefit of him being put in 
really one role where he's he's a versatile safety. It's not like he's just a strong safety or just a free safety for the Jets, but just getting to be a safety that only has to drop down and play man-to-man on third downs, and that's when you're kind of acting as a corner. You don't have to do any of the linebacker stuff. You're not going to be used as often as a blitzer. I think that it helps him in the sense that he's going to be able to focus on his role a lot more, not have to worry about understanding so much of the field at the same time and really hone in on on what is asked of him in that one particular spot. But it's going to take time for that to happen. And so I think that if if Antonio Johnson was that ready out of the box, clean, perfect, he's going to be as good as he could be day one uh, as he would be, you know, year day one of year three. Then I think you could argue, make that argument to go up. but. This is a, a a tough, tough, tough year for the Jets, to be quite honest, because the strength of this draft is the mid rounds, and that's where their picks are lacking the most. It's it's really hard to be sitting with a cluster of picks at the top and then a cluster of picks at the end. I, I really want them to see if they can find a way to add some mid round ammo. I think the best way to do that is with just the trade back in the first, or even a trade 100% back in the second. Agree. Uh, and I think that's probably the best move because. Uh, yeah, like you said, that's where the strength is and that's where we kind of want to be. Yeah, no, I, I I couldn't agree more. I had an article come out on Jets X Factor this morning that was dream best case scenario mock draft for the Jets in 2023 that had them keeping all their 2023 picks and only sending picks next year for Rodgers and then trading down from 13 to 21. Uh, Chargers come up for Jackson Smith and Jigba, send the Jets 21, 85 and a first round pick in 2024 and the Jets take Darnell Wright 21st overall. That that sounds ideal to me. Yeah, that would be perfect for me, too. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, this has been one of the longer shows we've done. Uh, going to be a lot of fun next week for our War Room special, of course. <laughs> going to be another long one as well. Going to get spend a lot of time talking to you. I'm very excited about that. I think that does it for this week, though. Those are our 10 players, our 10 favorites of this 2023 draft class. There's a handful of guys on the outskirts. Um, I'm going to go through and do a quick, not in-depth, just some names of some honorable mentions of some guys that I really, really liked that pained me not to include uh jack campbell the linebacker from iowa my top rated linebacker in this class dude is just a pro gonna be a a starting middle linebacker in the league for a long long time great player devin witherspoon the corner from illinois aggressive feisty great and off coverage great ball production hits like a mack truck love everything about his game uh michael mayer the tight end at notre dame i think has been forgotten about and slept on a little bit in this tight end class got some really good receiving uh, options like a dalton kincaid behind him who's drawn a lot of attention but mayer is just a a a bulldog he's just a classic inline tight end one makes contested catches runs through arms tackles looks uh, looks and plays like he's bigger than everyone else on the field really solid route runner really solid hands really solid blocker he's my top rated tight end and i think he's going to be a really good pro for a really really long time Last but not least, Keandre Coburn, the defensive tackle at Texas, uh, a late round guy, um, but another guy like a Keanu Benton that is a nose tackle with a three ta- uh, three technique skill set. Uh, he really improved as a pass rusher this past year, his senior season in, uh, in Austin, um, got better at being a penetrator, got better at using his hands, got better at slipping through blocks, really stout against the run in the run game. Big dude, 6'5", like 320 pounds holds it well, holds his ground, doesn't give anything up when being blocked, takes on double teams really, really well. I I like him a lot as a sleeper. He's a guy that if the Jets don't go DT early in the draft and they pass on somebody like a Keanu Benton, I'm going to be looking heavily for later down the order. Keandre Coburn's one of my favorites. Matt, you got any honorable mentions you want to toss in before we get out of here? Absolutely. So there's the the guy I I did an audible for who I was going to do is uh, Marvin Mims of Oklahoma. 
uh, a, a speed demon and a, just another guy that uh, just plays a, a lot bigger than than him. Uh, a guy that's also very similar to Parker Washington. Uh, it's kind of a theme for this draft. There's like a bunch of slot guys uh, that can be very dangerous weapons. Uh, both these guys in particular uh, just play a lot bigger than than they are. And I think that the, those kinds of guys are just great uh, guys to have, especially in our offense. Uh, who you want more physicality, especially as on the outside, uh, than uh, some guys on uh, the defensive line. Uh, you have uh, Carl Brooks from Bowling Green, uh, who is another guy that's really big, but also moves very well. Uh, how he Only 310-pounder I've ever seen Only play in a wide nine. Yeah, it, it's incredible how, what he's able to do and at that size. Uh, a lot like Benton. Uh, so he was hard not to mention. Uh, also, Kalijah Canty of, of Pittsburgh, who is an explosive dynamo. Uh, he's going to, he gets a lot of uh, uh, talk about uh, him being compared to Aaron Darnold. But uh, at the same time, he's, he's not. But he's going to be himself, and he's going to be special in his own right. Uh, you got a linebacker, Overshone, who used to be a safety, uh, who shows a lot of ability and coverage and as uh, a force of nature when he's hitting people. Uh, he's got a lot of that athletic ability that uh, I think is going to be special at the next level. Uh, and that's probably about it. Or maybe, oh, you know, one more. Let's say Jamie Robinson of Florida State. Uh, he was one of my, the first safeties I watched, and he was became one of my favorites uh, right away. Just his, physical, his brand of physical football. Uh, and his ability to to be like a, a a guy in the box that to be a presence up front, and also move to be a deep safety and have the range and ball skills to to really be a weapon back there. Yeah, yeah, I like that list a lot. I think we got a, a good good list of group here, a list of players, guys that are going to be really solid in the league. Appreciate you guys tuning in and stopping by. This has been our official all Oklahoma drill team for the 2023 NFL draft. We are one week away. By the time you guys are hearing this, it will be less than one week. Hopefully the New York Jets can sort out their Aaron Rodgers trade parameters. Hopefully some of these good offensive tackles stay on the board at 13. Hopefully the Jets can find a center. Hopefully they can find a defensive tackle. And hopefully, fingers crossed, everything goes right. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. The Jets can replicate their success from 2022 and walk away from 2023 with another dynamite draft class. Appreciate you guys stopping by one more time. Matt, you know the drill. Let's wrap this up. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jeff. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Make sure you guys stop back in next week for our final full New York Jets war room mock draft where we go through each and every pick. Act as if we were Joe Douglas, the general manager, and decide who the uh, New York Jets should be adding in the 2023 class. Always my favorite episode of the year, right as the draft gets ready to happen. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back real, real soon. Bye-bye.